I'm Tommy Canale, and welcome to A Heartbeat and a Guitar, Johnny Cash and the Making of Bitter Tears, a podcast docu-series powered by Before the Lights podcast in support of Native American rights of the harsh and unfair treatment of the indigenous community. Along with me is the filmmaker of We're Still Here and author of the book, A Heartbeat and a Guitar, Antonino D'Ambrosio. Everybody who's taking up any creative endeavor is being called into action. And what we're trying to do, I hope, is to, you know, pick up the torch and carry it farther down the road, uh, you know, so, so somebody else can take it from there. White Girl was written by Peter Lafarge in 1965 about having a romantic affair with a woman, but she was white and cannot consider marrying an Indian. He returns to his family, becomes an alcoholic, and is lost in regrets. I am a mixture of black, white, and Indian, as a lot of people in the South are. Antonino, this song has so much meaning, so much depth to it. We now hear from Rian Giddens, who's a mixture of Native and African American. The song is about our interracial relationship. This song is deep. The storytelling of Pierre Lafarge here is, it's devastating, you know, and it's just, it, it reminds me when I had a conversation with John Trudell, when he was talking to me about the song that he really, really loved from Pierre Lafarge, was Atomic Indian. Pierre Lafarge had this great grasp of, of creating these allegories or metaphors about what the issues really, how he could translate them through song. And obviously, Ira Hayes was a real historical figure, but the, the person that, that is, is in the song White Girl is, there have been many. We've talked about this in a, in a prior episode of, of assimilation, of trying to do whatever you can, be part of American society, which means foregoing your your native culture and becoming white. And in this song, what's devastating about it is that the white girl does everything to give the impression to the young native man. Yes, you're going to, I'm going to get you through this. You will be accepted, but it was quite the opposite and he's discarded and that emotionally crushes him and it can be seen in terms of how that emotional wreckage is is what native people continue to experience at the hands of of americans you know we'll hear the song and we'll hear the milk carton kids really really beautiful rendition of it but again different than what johnny how johnny cash did it and peter lafarge did it but certainly Johnny Cash had the, that little bit more of bitterness. Again, the album's called Bitter Tears and anger in it. Milk and Kids bring a real different emotion and tone to it that is just as devastating. And they bring a freshness to it. The Milk Carton Kids duo is Kenneth Pattengal and Joey Ryan. And let's hear from a clip from the music and let's hear from both of those guys from the band along with Steve Earle. 
there's a real freshness to it that I think was commonplace in a lot of those old records that we know and love. But maybe we're separated enough from history to not really truly understand that they're, they're works of art that take place in the moment, whereas this one screams at. But she was not married, not in Indian, she said. She thanked me for my offer, and I wish that I was dead. What you guys are doing that is really hard to do is this song is like, I know this shit, I was these Lafarge songs. All of this sort of straight narrative, it really seems incongruous for two people to be singing it, mm -hmm. but you're pulling it off. Mm -hmm. It has to be really natural and really conversational. Right. It has to be like someone speaking to you, and, mm -hmm. and doing that in harmony is really hard to do. You know? And then you're doing it, so it's cool. really cool. It's, that, and it's, so it sounds completely, totally unique. It's, mm -hmm. it's cool. It's hard to do it in the way that it comes together on this album. Oh, although I love her, she would not be my bride. Where it's angry and direct and unapologetic, but still musical and artistic. He doesn't pull any punches. What's really gripping about what Joey Ryan just said there is, Peter Lafarge's lyrics, it's angry. This song's direct, it's unapologetic, but it's still art. And they have taken that, wrapped it into a new, modern, fresh version. They really hit, I mean, they really hit it out of the park. It is a beautiful, almost poetic reimagining of the song. Because the song is meant to be angry. And, you know, this young native man now is, is almost without a, a people because he's not accepted by what he's been discarded by his white girl and he's not really accepted amongst his people anymore because they feel betrayed and bitter about it and it's interesting this is what bob dylan had to say about this this particular song well nobody ever said this is bob dylan speaking well here's another protest song the guy who's best at protest songs was peter lafarge this is bob dylan saying this about the king here in the folk scene and you're talking about a history carter family pete seeger goes on and on and on but the person that bob dylan's talking about is peter lafarge and the song that he points out well there's two of them it's ira hayes the ballad of ira hayes and white girl lafarge then who had talked about writing this particular song was one of the early songs that he wrote was that it was cisco houston the person that had mentored him and Bob Dylan that convinced him to write the song. And I think that this is something that is written, as you hear the Mokart could say, in the moment. It's almost like this was the first draft. Whenever time I, I hear this song, no matter who plays it, whether it's Johnny Cash, Lafarge, or the Milkard kids, it sounds like he sat down, wrote it in, the, in a you know, fervor of anger, and that was it didn't go back and refine it, left it alone. And I'm glad he did because that's the point of the song. Let's tie in social justice activist and artist Josh Dunson with what you spoke about with Peter Lafarge and his dedication to all issues. 
and Peter was was just very very um, dedicated to, to not just Native American issues but to all issues and social movements and he was very very much he's very concerned with the civil rights movement outrage what was in it at that time the uh, killings of African Americans in the South mm-hmm. and uh, he's, he's expressed that in songs about that he, he, another issue that's not been brought up yet, but a good time to talk about and add to this, Antonito, is Native women are paid 60 cents for every dollar paid to the white man. Well, you know, it's interesting, Tommy, is that this is in Lafarge's notes, he called this song a metaphor for what he quote unquote called white only democracy and the myth of inclusion and acceptance versus the reality the superficial fetization or romantic racialization relationship between the United States and native people. And I think that that's embedded in everything that we're talking about in this song, which means that you're beyond even second class citizenship or second class designation within the society is that you have no, there's nothing. Of course, they're going to be paid less. Of course, they're going to be, when Native women are experiencing levels of abuse, there's not a real response to help them. Because again, the song taps into the idea that democracy and everything embedded in it is, is for whites only. That was his intention. That's in his notes. That's why the song is called White Girl. And he's, you know, he's tapped, he's really hit a vein here. He's really hit a vein. Remember what Johnny Cash said when he wrote that letter? that he had placed in it as an ad in Billboard magazine, protesting the censorship of the record that had this song on it, was when he got confronted by the press about it, he just simply said, all of God's children ain't free. Let's hear from Joanne Shenandoah, Native American singer, composer, citizen of the Oneida Indian Nation, Wolf Clan, on that point. How do we change the minds and hearts and souls of those who are going to come after us? It begins with the thought. Peter LaFarge, Johnny Cash, you know, my good friend Pete, those people did all they possibly could to try to change the mind. And here you and I are still trying to change minds of people and bring awareness to these issues. And as you just really eloquently stated, when Johnny Cash wrote that letter, it wasn't that he just wrote down and angrily put pen to paper and wrote a bunch of words and shoved this thing into the jackets. He put some thought into this to make sure that the words that were on the page would stand the test of time, and they have. You, you can look at Pierre Lafarge Roseanne Cash says in our film that what Johnny Cash did in standing firm against the censorship, against the boycotting of the record, was a lesson. And I think that for Johnny Cash, what Pierre Lafarge was doing in writing these songs was a lesson. You know, it was something that was an affirmation and a validation that some of the material that he was playing with before he did this record that had more of a social consciousness in it, let's say, had more of a 
a creative response, global citizenship worldview, that he could go further, that he could let his emotions, let himself, let his mind and heart be free, a little bit more free. I think White Girl, of all the songs on the record, is a great example of that. And in its own way, is the template for that scathing letter, that remarkable, wondrous, crazy letter that Johnny Cash wrote to condemn the music industry censorship and their hypocrisy around these issues. And I think that we need more of that, quite frankly. And I don't want to discard the fact that away from the native culture, that interracial relationships and marriage are still frowned upon in all ethnicities in this country. Yes. There seems to have been, in the last few years, just to put it mildly, going back to something that was better in the past. But as we know, that past that some people yearn for, that was better, was never there. It never existed. And it's this fallacy or a fable or myth of a country that is just really designed for one particular group of people. Now, it's true that that one particular group of people have benefited for hundreds of years. But the reality is the country is, is now not only extremely diverse, but the whole promise of America is about diverse. That's the whole promise of it. Really kind of coming full circle here is the white man is what we keep referring back to who have done all these things to the native culture. But pretty soon, the white man is going to be the minority in this country. It's right around the corner. Whether they want to accept it or not, that is the trend of our population. Again, you know, there is a great American experiment, Tommy. Now, this is separate because, again, native people are a sovereign people. But, you know, there we, within that sovereignty, I think it is incumbent upon us to do our best, develop relationships that allow both groups of people to advance, to be uplifted, to move forward. As we talked about before, when it comes to language, and my great Haitian poet friend, Benazé Latour, had said in a, in a film I made that he's featuring called Speak the Words the Way You Breathe, the more languages that you speak, it's the more people that you are. And I think that the more diverse, the more that we embrace not just different cultures, but different ideas, that is the essence of democracy. That is the essence of democracy. I think what is counter to democracy is creating a very narrow culture, a culture dominated by one group, one vision. That's just not the way the world works. You know, that's not the way history has changed. That's not how we've moved forward. That's just the evidence of history. It proves us right there. This is a fascinating song in that regard, too, is that what the quote-unquote white girl could have benefited from was not just the, the superficial image of the native young man as her trinket or bauble to be paraded around at a party but perhaps 
embracing and learning from, from that culture and finding things that changed her worldview. But instead, that was not the case. And in this case, you know, he suffers for it twice. And I think that's, that's part of the lesson here. Here is Roseanne Cash, the daughter of Johnny Cash and her feelings. I really felt the ache and compassion in that, even as a kid. It made me so sad. She came up to Pueblo with her bright blonde hair. They told me not to love her, but I did not care. She took me to her party. She carried me around. Let's get into the topic of sex and rape. Native women and girls are murdered at a rate of 10 times higher than any other ethnicity. The majority of these murders take place on native land and the perpetrators are most often not native according to the native women's wilderness. 84% of native women report having experienced violence at some point in their lives according to the Department of Justice. Sarah Deer, a University of Kansas professor and author of the book The Beginning and End of Rape, Confronting sexual violence in Native America said, quote, Native women have told me that what you do when you raise a daughter in this environment is you prepare her for what to do when she is raped, not if, but when. And, you know, right, let's just stop right there. Really hard for me to wrap my brain around that there's a culture out there that has to raise a daughter about what to do when she is raped, not maybe or if you come into some kind of violence, but they're actually raising their daughters to understand that they're going to be raped. When we look at these issues that we talked about as human rights issues, whether it's healthcare, education, jobs, you know, this is a, this is another one of those issues that is acutely and sharply felt in the native community and in the wider society, especially among uh, women of color of all, of, you know, all stripes, there's tremendous violence perpetuated against them and a lack of care and concern or responsiveness from the institutions that are supposed to be there to prevent this and, and protect them. In 2016, which was the last year of the available report by the Urban Indian Health Institute. 5,712 cases of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Let me repeat that, listeners. 5,712. Only 116 were logged into the Department of Justice database. 25 to 35% of all Native people children are missing. A white-only democracy is what Peter Lafarge was singing in White Girl. And you see that with those statistics, particularly amongst the most vulnerable. Women, obviously, 
our vulnerable population in this regard in terms of violence and sexual violence. But even beyond that, children, you measure how a society is doing in terms of how it treats its most vulnerable. And how we're doing is very, very bad. Really bothers me. Mainstream media will not report on these for whatever reason, but there was a travesty and a tragedy in Gabby Petito that was murdered and found in a desolate area of the Grand Tetons. Mainstream media was going to make sure that Gabby Petito's body was found, and it was. Mainstream media is not going to report that 25 to 35% of Native children are missing and there's 84% violence and these women are being raped at alarming rates on Native land by people that are not from the Native land and they're just walking away from it. They're not going to report on that. And my question to that is, why aren't they and why won't they? You know, something that, we, that we're exploring in this series quite a bit is when you've made an entire people invisible. You've also made them disposable. There's no threat of, uh, there's no repercussions for behavior, violent or otherwise, geared towards them. If you could take their land, you could take their lives. And it is an old story here in terms of how the U.S. was won and continues to exert its power. And that's a problem. It's a big problem because this, again, goes back to this the listeners, we can't underscore this enough how on point Peter Lafarge was in capturing the crux of the issue, which is it's democracy for whites only. Whites only democracy. That's what this all this is what it comes down to. Again, you've mentioned it a few times, Tommy. Non-native people or men are the ones that are overwhelmingly committing the, the abuse. Says it all. You had the great fortune of interviewing storyteller Bob Reiser. We're going to hear a clip from him about talking about the human mind. The human brain really is not a perfect, it's not a computer, it's not very logical. It, 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 there's a lot of things, I don't think we quite quite understand our own minds and the things that drive it. And it's somehow, and this may be just a Western thing, we think we can solve everything by discussing and arguing. Right. And you can't. Right. You can't, that's not how the mind works. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, and I've learned that as a storyteller. Just, you know, what a story does is it works with metaphors. People hear a story um, and suddenly something clicks inside their mind. And you didn't even say it, but you made a metaphor. And the mind sees, oh, this is like this, this is like this. And it's not a logical connection, but it's, it's a symbolic connection. It's a powerful quote by Bob Reiser. And I love how this ties into the metaphors that each song on the Bitter Tears album really has in... Yeah, I mean, the mark of good storytelling, too, is that you could find your your own story within it. And that's the mark of good storytelling. And then you find your own way to connect to that story and then hopefully to other people within the society. This is the great thing about, you know, my dear friend Wayne Kramer from the MC5 always says, 
You know, the idea of a song is that you meet in the song as a people. That's the thing. You go to a concert, you don't know any of those people that you're standing shoulder to shoulder with, you're sitting next to, but you're meeting there within the song. And Bob Ryder is really one of the, the greatest storytellers I think this country's ever produced. And I would encourage people, our listeners, to check out, you can see it on YouTube, one of his performances, one of his storytelling performances called Where I'm From, which underscores the great quote that Tommy just shared with you as we were talking about his experience with Lafarge and Johnny Cash. The importance of finding the story in the song, the metaphor, when it's told well, is, and this is an overused statement, is universal, which means that the metaphor can be anything for whoever's listening to it when they bring their own perspective experiences, where they sit in society and where they've come from, where they are now, and where they're headed, is a very powerful way to connect. And that's where the artistry comes from. And in this particular song, in White Girl, it is sharply, sharply developed for us to connect to a perspective that many people don't really, really see or reject or don't believe it's true. That there's only a democracy for the few in certain certain cases. I'll put a link in the show notes to the Bob Reiser YouTube so our listeners can go there and check that out. We're going to hear from guitarist from Leonard Skinnerd, Ricky Medlock. That's going to take us out of this episode. This statement he makes here really brings this white girl song home. Let's talk about how many native women, girls, uh, small children have disappeared, been found murdered, been found, you know, that are, uh, you know, have violence committed toward them. Yes. At an alarming rate. And guess what? You never hear about it on the mainstream media. Not a word. But you know what they'll do? They'll take all this other stuff and they'll go out there day after day. And they talk about everything else that's going on bad in this country. But with natives, you'll never hear a word about it. Nothing. Just one question. Just one question. Just one question. Just one question. Why? 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 That's it. 